What is thy bidding, my master? Bandwidth for this week's episode of Book Guys is brought to you by hollowbooks.com, where they create custom-made books where you can hide just about anything. You choose the book, they do the rest. Ah, A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Hey Craig, it's episode uh, one of season seven. And it's going to be all Star Wars, yeah. baby. How you doing? Happy New Year, my friend. I'm doing good. Happy New Year to you. But I'm starting to think we should have shot that empty uh, pod. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, we are coming to you live today from deep inside the Death Star a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Thanks to our time machine technology, also known as a TARDIS. Uh, so, so we're there and uh, we've got some great guests today, Craig. Uh, we have all the way from the Robart Overlords podcast. That's Overlords with a Z or a Z, depending where you live. And his name is Mike Johnson. How are you, sir? I'm good, Paul. Thank you very much for uh, having me out. Hey, nice to and have you here. And shot first, of course. Yeah, I know. Hey, sorry about all the stormtroopers <laughs> uh, hanging around, but don't worry. Uh, worst comes to worst, we'll get teleported back home. Uh, but I think we're safe in this room here in the Death Star. Uh, uh, even though the door is open, but you know we still see people walking by. It's it's all it's all good. We're good. And uh, joining us as well in this episode, episode one of season seven, is Brian J. Jones, the author of the book called Lucas: A Life. It's a book about George Lucas, I believe, is it not, Brian? <laughs> it is a book about George Lucas, and it is indeed his life. And uh, Ewoks don't blink. And I was just kidding. Uh, folks at home are going, oh man, Paul didn't read this book. No, no, no. I totally read it, loved it, enjoyed it. We will talk about it. And uh, But since we're on the Death Star, I think we might start uh, with uh, talking to Mr. Johnston. Because uh, I know your, your podcast, you've talked a lot about robots. Uh, real robots. Non-fictional ones. Uh, yep, the kinds know, and, that are uh, coming to take all of our jobs. <laughs> they're coming to take our jobs. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, that's a big part of Star Wars, right? Is it not? Does anyone work in Star Wars other than uh, moisture farming? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and that doesn't pay well. No, no I, I wouldn't think it does. <laughs> apparently not. Moisture farming does not pay well. <laughs> you know, moisture farming sounds like growing teeth, you know, like a useless uh, thing. But I guess when you're on a desert planet, it must be uh, a big deal. So, 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 Mike, your your podcast has talk, uh, touched on uh, uh, you know robots of the present and the future. Of course, you're always postulating what's going to happen in the future. Um, how do you see the the droids in in Star Wars compared to the robots that we have today and in, in the immediate future? Well, you know, I think what's funny about Star Wars is that it's not really classic science fiction, even though it it looks like science fiction. You know, in a lot of ways, the the droids, they're not really that technological. What's funny to me, you know, I work in IT and all that. Just looking at the technology in the film, a lot of times it serves a little bit more 
you know, narrative purpose or just it, it's functioning in story terms rather than in technological terms. And, you know, for me as a techie, it's it's real easy to pick on Star Wars that way because, right. you know, it's just, <laughs> well, like in, in this uh, latest, you know, release, Rogue One, the, uh, the secret plans that they had to get. I mean, oh, my God. As an IT person, it just... <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and, and maybe it's we're not going at to, all realistic. What I was looking at uh, at that one was okay. There's no wireless technology in Star Wars, but it, but is maybe that a an effect of, of 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 the future? Is that something that we're going to move to when you know things keep keep getting hacked? Is maybe having Wi-Fi connection mm-hmm. of you know transferring you know encrypted files eventually going to go the way of the dodo bird? Like, would the droid have to connect to the Death Star? You know. Well, you know, interesting, Paul, you use the word hacked and having to connect. R2-D2 was the first character in a movie to actually hack into a computer system. Nice. To get the doors open. I I think he heard you. I can hear him whistling outside the door there. (laughs) Did he hack into that computer or did he sexually assault it? Hey, now. Well, I mean, (laughs) what's the difference, really, right? I mean, you're, you're injecting your code into something else to create something new. Well, but when you see the tool that he actually uses to do it, it's a good question. So. In the morning. <laughs> oh, very nice. <laughs> you get a morning show jingle for that one, but <laughs> but but it, it is okay. Obviously, the, the in in the actual writing and reality, this was a product of the '70s, right? So there was no uh, wireless uh, connected fridges. There was no wireless connected, uh, you know, uh, weight scales that tweeted out your weight and shamed you every morning. Uh, we just didn't have but this that's, that's not an excuse that's that's a problem with a lack of imagination on the writer side Star Trek the animated series had a holodeck on it there were no holodeck there's still no holodecks in reality yeah true. well the, those were kind of getting close a little bit with VR but I you know I think you can read a lot into um, Lucas's relationship to, to technology to the way he's written it you know I mean he was much more uh, I guess a, a mechanic. I mean, having just read Brian's book, you know, a lot of his early formative experiences with technology seem to be almost as a mechanic and as a little bit more of a technician rather than, you know, really like a computer guy. And, you know, I, I think, Paul, was it you that said that, you know, that it was written in the 70s? Um, you know, I, I think that's just kind of it evolved out of that time. You know, he, he was a kid much younger. I mean, now for us, all that technology, it's all around, it's everywhere. You don't even think about it, but it, it wasn't like that then. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, as far as prescience, uh, Lucas had quite a few things down. I mean, uh, uh, as far as the droids uh, con- are concerned, they were uh, all sent. Well, well look, are we calling them sentient? Are they sentient? In Star Wars, yeah, I, yeah, I think I think the droids are sentient. I mean, I, they're I think programmed, they but I think they're sentient. And, and, and they're all in, in this fear of being deactivated, right? I mean, if you if oh, you right. could, and it, it seems like they had free will, right? Because because I mean, I, I can't remember which droid C three PO was talking to. He did tell the the thing. Well, if you do that, oh my God, you can be deactivated for sure if you do that. And that might have been in Episode uh, Four, uh, A New Hope. Uh, but, yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, it gets back—it gets back to what Mike said. I mean, the the droids in Star Wars are a are a storytelling device more than more than a more than robots. I mean, they're the comic relief. They're the peasants from Hidden Fortress, the you know the the old film. Right. Lucas's relationship with technology is—I—I I, I think you were 
sort of getting at it, Craig. I mean, Luke, Luke's relationship with technology is very functional. Uh, Lucas right. likes gadgets. He likes to play around with stuff. And even in his movies, even his early, you know, uh, college films, he's got this weird relationship with with technology. And, you know, one of the student films is him just following a race car around the track. And there's one part, unscripted, where the car skids out and the guy can't get it to start again. And, you know, sort of like yeah. it's already man yeah. versus machine. And it's in THX 1138. And it's in st- even in American Graffiti, the opening credits as Charles Martin Smith has a has a Vespa moped gets away from him at one point even. So yeah. Luke, Lucas <laughs> always had this, this sort of interesting relationship with technology, both on screen and behind the screen. And in episode one, he had uh, armies of droids, right? And and they were defeated yeah. basically through one hack, or or one the destruction of one router, let's say. So all these things became completely useless when the router, which was a spaceship, got destroyed. Right, it's like just telling the board but, to sleep, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah, and but to your point of him using them, the way his his relationship is with them. Look at look at today. I mean, you go to a fast food restaurant and you've got a computer screen you're ordering from when when does that become move from being a terminal to a robot right what and i guess that's a, a question for mike is how do we how are you going to define robot for us it, if the if it has a set of inputs it can take and then it can adapt to your input to off make you more offers is it still a console or does it become a robot at some point because it is taking an interaction in multiple <laughs> ways with you? It prints a receipt, it, it scans your credit card, it does do multiple things. When does Siri become sentient, right? Is that what you're asking? Oh, she's pretty close <laughs> now. I, well, yeah, is she a robot or is she an input device? Uh, hang on, let me, let me ask. Uh, hello, Siri? Who is your favorite author? I'm not really sure. What a safe answer. You know what? What a C-U-N-T. Because yesterday I asked her and she said, you are, Paul. And I was like, that's great. I'm going to use that on the show. So she's changed her mind since yesterday. Thanks, Apple. Thank you, Apple. That was a live fail. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, but these things well, are... She, are can, getting... she can turn on my lights now. Because, you know, through the Philips uh, thing, she can turn my lights on oh, and do, off. Do you so get the Philips hue? Again, the, the... is she a console or is she a uh, robot? That's a good question. I mean, I, she she's uh, she is a product of the hive mind, is she not? Because uh, Apple does use uh, all the data they get from what people ask her. And when there's a failure where she says, I don't know, that does go into a file somewhere at Apple. And they eventually uh, do uh, change hmm. their behavior. Because I know that, uh, uh, let's say last year, for lack of record uh, <clears throat> of when I actually did it, last year I set an, uh, an alarm for, let's say, 8 p.m. And then I, I, I see her eat again, right? I press the button. I said... You know, actually, you know, let me do this live. Good question. Anything? Be, be quiet, Siri. So let me try this. So last year, if I said uh, set an alarm for 8 p.m., right? And then I, I see Siri again and said, uh, no, make that 8.30. She said, I don't understand what you're doing. Uh, but enough people did that, that the hive mind eventually uh, sent all these reports to Apple without them knowing that, you know, people are, 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 you know, trying to change their thing. So Apple, of course modified her behavior. Let's try this right now live again. Siri, don't feel me now. Set an alarm for 9.45 p.m. tonight. I can't set an alarm here. Would you oh, like Jesus. a reminder instead? <laughs> okay, I'll remind you. Okay, I'll take the reminder. That's fine. Can you change that to 10.45 p.m.? Here's your reminder for today at 10.45 p.m. Shall I create it? Okay, so so that okay. yes, of course. I updated Thank the you, reminder. Siri. 
So, so that's a behavior that was added to Siri's, uh, you know, hive mind there to her brain uh, through people, uh, people's wants, people's needs, and uh, and she's completely, yeah, totally. Siri is a total AI construct, uh, a hive mind construct, because as we ask her stupid questions, she can't answer. Apple just piles those up into little neat piles and says, "Well, here's the biggest pile. People want to change the reminders immediately after they've done them, and they modify her behavior to match." But to Craig's point, she's still a, basically a flowchart. Absolutely. Right I, I mean, it's Absolutely. a way more complex flowchart, but she's not a personality yet. And well, and she's not doing point, the learning. Right. 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 And, well, and, and, and she's point, not in your pocket. She might be. And she's not in your pocket. Because as anyone knows, if, if you don't have a, you know, a data plan on your phone, as soon as you walk two blocks away from your house and say, Siri, set an alarm for 9 p.m., it says, Siri is not available. You're not online. So this is not a, a, a you know a hundred megabyte program that's on your phone. This is probably like a two terabyte program that's running in Apple servers, right? Well, and, and that's one of the big problems about technology right now is that a lot of what Silicon Valley designs and what they think of, you know, they're they're tapping into all of these things that we've seen in the movies, all of these things that we all imagine, and they're imagining it. And you know, in Silicon Valley, they have that connectivity where it's no big deal, and yet. Right. You know, my uh, at the time my co-host, uh, we were doing an episode about the internet, and his internet was down for like three days. And you know, they don't design for that. Actually, um, both my co-host and I, you know, we do a lot of watching movies off of iTunes, but via the Apple TV, so on a big TV. Right. And that that program has to check in every 24 hours. If it doesn't check in, you can't watch your movies, right. even if you've bought and paid for them. And so his internet was down for three days. He no longer could watch his movies. And there are ways around that, none of which he managed to do. But, you know, it's for three days, basically, he lost his entire movie library. He would have had to have busted out, you know, the DVDs again, basically. Well, I mean, and, even Netflix is having trouble with uh, dealing with offline because now they offer uh, where you can download programs and watch them later. And yeah. I tried that for the first time on my iPhone and... I was trying to go to my downloads, but as soon as you launch the Netflix app, it asks, which profile are you on? <laughs> and because <Yep. laughs> I wasn't online, I couldn't choose a profile and watch the, the downloads that I specifically downloaded to watch offline. So they, they've got a long way to go with that as well. Yeah, I really think they're just designing for a future that's not here yet. And it will be great when we get there, but the fact that we're not there yet, and they, you know, they forget things like, I think this happened a bit Microsoft when they came out with the uh, the Xbox One. You know, you have to be connected to the Internet at yeah. all times. There were a bunch of, you know, U.S. service people deployed all over the world who found that they couldn't use the Xbox One. Yeah, when they were all. in Iraq, right? They, they wanted to play. They were in their, their tent, and they had their Xbox set up, an Internet connection, and, and Microsoft said, no, you're in Iraq. We don't have a Microsoft store there. Yep. Yeah. You know, or, or Afghanistan or wherever they are, it's... You know, if anyone it should work for, it probably should work for those folks. I mean, yeah. you know, you're pitching these um, this great world of interconnected devices, and yet they still don't treat it as if it's the whole world. Yeah. You know, they want to carve but, but it I up. Think, I think sections. you're right. We're we're pushing beyond our means. Where Siri could not fit on your phone that has 16 gigabytes of RAM, and you know, you know, sorry, 16 gigabytes of memory, and and you know, like maybe one gigabyte or two gigabytes of RAM. But it will run, <laughs> excuse me, on a, on a you know an Apple web server, and that's how Siri works. I mean, I don't think Siri will be a local 
entity for you know decades to come. But is she a Probably protocol there? droid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But but back but you know but we, we get back to uh, C3PO and R2D2 who do have their own personalities, and it does seem so far that uh, from what the Star Wars I've watched that all the droids have their own personality and they can uh, do things that are illegal or not allowed, and C3PO will be the first one to tell you you'll be deactivated, my friend. Why would you do that? Uh, but apparently they do have some kind of free will, do they not in the Star Wars universe? To a certain degree. Oh, without sure. the restraining bolt, at least. Yeah, without the restraining bolt. Good point. Yeah, that's right. That's but, right. And you I see... know a butter passing robot that would love to be able to have a free will that doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, way to go, Craig. Way to go, Craig. Great reference. <laughs> I mean, it, but isn't it weird how, like, in the last, you know, the, mo- the two most recent Star Wars movies, we've got t- two of the most memorable characters are both droids. You've got BB-8 and uh, K2SO, who are, like, like uh, the scene stealers in the two movies, like the the robots, the impersonal ones are the ones that get all the laughs in all those movies. Absolutely, and BBA and, was well, an actual construct, it, was it not? It's an actual robot, and that's what kind of drew everyone to to that uh, character. And what was going to say? What's interesting is it's it's pre-programmed, but I've got the little BB-8 uh, toy, and you can watch the Force Awakens with it, and it reacts to what's going on on the screen. Oh, you're oh, kidding! Cool. That is neat. Yeah, and I mean, hey, that's all pre-programmed. It's just it's using your phone to listen to the TV, and it, it just <laughs> triggers things. But it's it's still an interesting step forward in okay, today it's it's pre-programmed, but maybe later it's more like Siri, where I say something to it, and it has a different reaction based on what it's learned on its own. Love it. Yeah, we've come a, we've come a long way from the remote controls where you had to like push it down and it would click really loud. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had the dial to to make the picture steady. Right. <laughs> little... But you remember like the old remote control Star Wars land speeder toy that Sears sold? Like you had to use this clicker to like <laughs> to make it work and it never worked. <laughs> robots robots was stupid back then. Oh lord. And we are going to talk about uh Mr. Brian J. Jones Lucas Alive in a bit, but let's uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press this button here Podcasts Mr. Mike Johnston Johnston, how are you sir? I'm good, how about you Paul? Good, very good sir, why don't you tell us a bit about your podcast I know you don't, you're not all Star Wars you, I know you talk about droids and uh, robots and all kinds of stuff, tell us all about it so it is about the future and how society is changing. Uh, but, you know, you can stretch that to almost anything. I mean, I've made it cover picky eating, copyright, you know, the state of the communications industry in the world. You know, you can stretch it really anywhere. Um, yeah, we talk I a mean, lot we've done the same with authors. book guys. Yeah, we, we, we stretch a bit sometimes from books. I'm just saying. Yeah. As long as it's well, interesting, there's, yeah. There's, authors have a lot of interesting things to say. You know, we talk to a lot of authors and futurists and really anyone that's interested in the future. Um, a couple times entrepreneurs or people that are doing interesting startups. So really, you know, the future is we're all going to be living in it. So it really, it, at that point, it just becomes about life. So Yes, it encompasses all, yeah. You still there? Oh, yeah. Did I lose you? <laughs> We're having one of those uh, Skype days. <laughs> We're living in the future. Living in the future. Yeah, um, so tell us a bit uh, about uh, your co-hosts and uh, your guests, and, and what do you do on there? 
so the podcast now I'm doing it solo. I'm about two episodes in, and I've got another four recorded. So I've been releasing them somewhat irregularly. But uh, before that, my co-host was a guy I've been friends with since uh, junior high, actually. And, uh, you know, we, we have fairly divergent points of view. So he, he would do a little bit more of the everyman perspective on some of these issues and things. And, you know, I'm an old school science fiction fan and uh, I work in IT. Big interest in information technology, um, information security and communications in general and, and media. So... <laughs> You know, I, I can get kind of obscure in some of my interests, so for uh, at least the first 300-plus episodes, Matt was uh, kind of my grounding. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping to get a little bit more out there, actually, now that I'm doing it solo. I, I notice you've done what we've uh, done basically today. Uh, we've switched to a season format from our numbered format. So now this is season seven, episode one, instead of uh, episode 143. But did you actually get 300 episodes in one year? Not in one year. We've been uh, we started <laughs> regularly in 2014 in January, and ran from about I want to say episode 39 through like 311, 312. Okay. Doing twice a week, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, up until probably October. It was literally um, you know twice a week, except I maybe missed four weeks in there other well, than the holidays you know what i'm gonna ask you to be a little bit more honest then because to be honest i just discovered your podcast a little while ago and i'm slowly going through the back catalog and i saw that you know your, your most more recent episodes are season two whatever you you got to make it season four you got to be more honest because I, I thought these, <laughs> I these guys are doing an episode almost every day we're so behind <laughs> I've been calling it series two rather than season. Oh, okay. Although, so you're you know, taking I, the Doctor I, I Who model. Two, I guess. <laughs> you're taking the Doctor Who model, right? Where like, yeah, like well, 40 years you later, know, you have series one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. And where can folks find the robot overlords with a Z or a Z, depending where you live at the end instead of an S uh, podcast? RobotOverlords.fm or .com. Actually, I, I own them both. I can hear Darth Vader just outside the door, so guys, I'm going to ask you all to be really quiet. Let's take a quick break, and we'll, we'll come back, and we'll continue the show once he's passed by. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. Penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. Anyhow, mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You Earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord. 
until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You are in the presence of the awesome Ralatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him until it has been drained of all elemental life. So, speak Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. ffcast.libsyn.com What's up? This is Duke Sims from the band Shinobi Ninja, and you're listening to The Book Guys, live and direct. Rocking in the free world, you know it. Hi, this is Bernard Robichaud. I play Cyrus on the Trailer Park Boys, and you're listening to The Book Guys. Hey, this is Craig, and this is my quick review of Make Space, how to set the stage for creative collaboration by Scott Dorley and Scott Whithoft. Uh, this is written by, these two guys work at the D School, uh, which is the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. And basically over the years of setting up the D School, they learned a lot about how to actually have a space for collaboration. And they had the advantage, it goes through in the introduction here, uh, the introduction is by David Kelly, who's the uh founder one of the founders of the d school and also one of the founders of ido the people that brought you the apple mouse and a bunch of other stuff but when they were founding the d school or setting it up they didn't have a permanent space on stanford's campus so they were being forced to move uh i don't know if it was every year every couple of years and so they learned different lessons of basically how to prototype space um and that's what the book does. It goes through and kind of helps you set up those spaces for doing brainstorming sessions, having meetings, just a generally shared space. The book is not a straight read-through, uh, or it doesn't have to be. I actually did read it straight through, but it's it's broken up into like a lot of one-page, uh, I call them articles for lack of a better term, up to maybe three pages, which are more stories. And, uh, and a lot of them are also just instructions on how to build things like uh, rolling uh, whiteboards, uh, things that you can use in your areas. I did read it straight through, but that's because I didn't read it all in one sitting. I, I just had it kind of out uh, in the afternoons. I'd pull it out and read, I don't know, five stories, five pages here and there. So I think it took me over a year or not quite a year to actually read the whole book. Uh, it's designed in that way to not be something that you sit down and read straight through. It's it's meant to be more of a reference book, and the pages are color coded for what you're working on. There's red, there's yellow, there's pink, uh, and I'm not going to find it fast enough to tell you what those are all for. But they're also connected too. So I'm looking at one section here. It's uh, insights, the responsibility adjustability slide rule. And then, so it has a little story. The more responsible users are for space, the more adjustable the space can be. So that's the uh, what this section's about. And then it also says, see also, situations, instant, shared studio, and insights start with what you have. So that's kind of a good way to read the book is jump through it as you need it. It's more of something I'm going to keep around as a reference book going forward. But 
I think it's a great book. Um, it's. I don't know if they have an ebook. I wouldn't get it as an ebook. This is definitely one you want as a physical copy uh, laying around somewhere. And that's my quick review. Thanks. This is Tony Gimignani from San Francisco, California, author of The Pizza Bible and owner of Tony's Pizza Napolitana. And you're listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys. Biographies. The constant readers are on the march. Illiteracy is on the run. This is The Book Guys Show. (laughs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) I just, I, I got into a bit of a Alex Jones mood there from our uh, between the segment conversation, but we're back with Brian J. Jones, author of Lucas, A Life. How are you, sir? I'm doing great tonight. Thanks, guys. R- really enjoyed uh, your your book, uh, Lucas, A Life. And I, and I have to admit, like most authors, if you send me a hardcover, folks, I'm going to buy the audiobook and listen to it anyway. So you make money regardless. <laughs> That's right. I paid twice, maybe. That's right. <laughs> so, so Brian, tell us, how, how did that come about? Uh, how, how did you end up writing a, a, a wonderful book, a very informative book on uh, George well, Lucas' my, life? My, uh, my previous biography had been a biography of Jim Henson. Uh, at the, and Jim and George Lucas worked together. And on Labyrinth, which was a horrible dud, but uh, anyway, I had and what I, a great that, movie. It, you know, that's one. That's one of those I always <laughs> tell everybody they were right about that, but at the wrong time. Unfortunately, people right. now love that movie. That, in fact, that's one when I talk about Jim Henson. As soon as I put Labyrinth up on the wall, if it's college students, they go nuts. Like people my age, I mean, I'm old. I'm I'm late forties. Like I remember seeing that in the theater, walking out of there, going, "What the hell was that?" Yeah. Um, but college students now are like they love it. They go nuts for that. The Dark Crystal. Jim was right about both of those, but totally at the wrong time. Um, so I had gotten word because my publisher, the Jim Henson biography, was Random House, and they published the Star Wars novels. And uh, word had come down to me through the chain of command that Mr. Lucas had read Jim Henson and really liked it, and said he knew Jim, and Jim was a friend of his, and he just really thought the book captured the spirit of Jim Henson. And I thought that was awesome. And that meant, of course, he was dying. That was an open invitation for me to write his biography and come and interview him and be his best friend out at Skywalker Ranch. And uh, I wrote him a letter, and he told me no. <laughs> so, because he tells because well, hang, hang on, hang on, Brian. I got, I got to give you this one. Thank you. But, but you you turned that into a wonderful book. So sorry. Please continue. <laughs> well, what I found out later is it, it's it's not even that he tells everybody else. No, he doesn't tell everybody anything. So I actually right. felt pretty good that I actually got a no out of him. Um, but I decided to go ahead and do it anyway because the guy is just way too interesting, and there's so much stuff out there that I almost despaired of ever finishing it because the pile of papers just oh keeps getting God. higher and higher and higher. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a project that I fell in love with. I'm the perfect age for doing it. I was 10 the summer Star Wars came out, so I was actually his target audience. Um, and, you know, he's been he's been in my pop culture DNA for as long as I can remember. So I thought it was a, a, a good fit. And uh, and I'm happy people seem to really enjoy the book, which pleases me. I think people a lot of the reviews I've read have a new appreciation for George Lucas saying, well, we had no idea he did so much. We thought he was just the Star Wars guy. Uh, to, to be honest, the, the my interest in the book, um, I, I've never really been interested in, in the story of George. I, I've always, you know, since a kid, been interested in the story of Star Wars. That's for sure. 
But I, I, to be honest, I was, it wasn't a big deal for me to find out about his life. But I really, just like someone driving by on the highway that sees an accident. Yeah. This this was my thought going in. I, I want to know <laughs> how the hell did the episode one, two, and three happen? And, and that's really why I was interested in the book. And and you certainly delivered on that point. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm glad to hear. I'm I'm glad to hear that it all worked for you because uh, that was you know that was. It, it's funny. It, you know, as the biographer, you always think your your job is to keep. People always ask me when I talk about drugs. Well, what do you think of the prequels? And I would say my job is not to tell you what I think of the prequels. You know what you think of the prequels. We all bring our own thing to that. Uh, my job is to tell you what George Lucas thought of the prequels. And what George Lucas thought is he did exactly what he set out to do. He advanced the ball, and he doesn't give a crap what you think of the prequels because he did what he wanted to do with it. Um, so, you know, he he's happy with them. He thinks they, they were the story he wanted to tell. He thinks he told it well. Uh, and what's awesome is that we can all debate and bicker about that until the uh, two sons of Tatooine burn out. <laughs> but they are what they are, right? But, but I mean, they are what they are. Uh, it kind of confirmed one of my theories on, on Lucas, your book did, that um, he's so anti-Hollywood, always has been, always will be. I'm sure he's glad to have taken, what, $10 billion from Disney? Because now it's $10 billion that won't go towards Disney's evil. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> four, yeah, four, $4 billion, which makes him the second large stockholder behind uh, Steve Jobs, who owns what Lucas will still to this day call his company, Pixar. $4 billion, a, a very large well, it was. number. <laughs> but, but, uh, or 4.05 to be exact. Very, 4.05. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that's so fun about him is, is I mean, what makes him what makes George Lucas George Lucas partly is that he's just he's so pissed the yeah, entire his yeah. entire career at Hollywood and and you know at one point his wife even says something along the lines of George you've done one arty farty movie you've done THX one with Rhea and you're sitting here making all these demands right. of Hollywood they're not giving you your way you know why where do you get off but I, I um, think he went a little bit too far in his hatred of Hollywood where to the point where he uh, not only denied Hollywood their their cut he didn't want them involved in the process he thought there are a bunch of accounts and I've worked in film and television it is true if you're an accountant you'll become a director if you're an artist you're not going to become a director they they would prefer an accountant who can you know keep the money under control than uh, you know a very artistic person uh, if you can be both yeah then then you'll survive in Hollywood but if you're just artistic and you, you don't care about the dollars and cents at the bottom line you're not going to uh, go very far in Hollywood but I, I think he went too far to the point where he even rejected Hollywood's Staples of their uh, their work progress, their um, you know the, the, their their pathway from script to movie. Where in episode one, two, and three, he was literally had like hundreds of people working on a movie that had no script and no direction, and he was writing the script as they were they were actually shooting the freaking movies before there was even one like you know hint of dialogue. <sighs> Really? Right, yeah, he's, I he think that's the where script, literally delivers the script the day before they start shooting. But you have to remember, they're burning the money they're burning through is his though. Right. I mean, he's he's not he didn't go to a Hollywood studio and make them put up a hundred million. It's his gotcha, money they're yeah. burning. So um, you know, if, if if they're behind schedule, it's his schedule that he set. Yeah. Um, so who's going to yell at him? The executive producer, which is him. Um, you know, people forget that Star Wars, nearly all of them, are gigantically successful independent films. Absolutely, every single one. No matter which one, even the one you hate, it made a lot of money, right? For what it yeah, no, yeah, what he, it cost. He's, he's never lost a dime on Star Wars. Yeah, I, I think he also fell down a bit with uh, the the prequels as far as using green screen. Well, you know, I think part of it is you know it was it was the brand new shiny thing. I mean, that's yeah. one thing that we 
forget is Lucas essentially is the one that that gave us CGI technology and filmmaking. He had really this is one thing that really surprised me is who knew that the young Indiana Jones TV series was so important. But right. that's the place <laughs> yeah. where he really figured out like is this technology going to work? And he figures out the shooting style which is you film constantly and if you are missing something you go back and you refilm it even yeah. if it's a year later you call your cast back together and you go and film in the pieces you're missing so it's a you know he really figured out the 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 way to do this and how to do this and he had the technology so he does what you know what even kids do is when you give them a new toy he's going to play with it yeah. and he plays with Absolutely. it a lot in those prequels and especially the episode 2 which i just think is almost unwatchable um he's just he's really enjoying stretching his legs so yeah. to speak with that cgi technology he just goes nuts. Absolutely. Episode... And the technology takes a back seat. I think yeah. I think he would admit that maybe. I, I think episode one and two uh really led uh, you know, they were the tip of the spear for this uh all this green screen screen happening now. I mean, even uh if you're watching like uh, Ugly Betty or, or some other television show, you know, the housewives of whatever, and, and they're just on the lawn, you know, talking, it's probably a green screen scene, thanks to Lucas, because they figured out we don't have to actually have a helicopter fly in, we don't have to go to the dock. We can have these guys sit comfortably in the studio, you know, beside craft service, and we can still, like, you know, uh, put in that they're on the, you know, the top of the building, and here's the, the you know, the skyscrapers in Manhattan. Because uh, really, I mean, green screen wasn't as prevalent before episode one, as far as television, before Lucas, uh, you know, did, you know, a whole series of films with it. Right. And, you know, and the actors show up and they, you know, they're standing on a on a blue platform and there might be a real table sitting there and then everything else is in a blue curtain. And it's really very disorienting yeah. <laughs> for the actors. And but I think what's what's interesting is, I mean, we've come almost for full circle again in that when we all heard that Force Awakens, they were actually going to build sets and build spaceships. It was like this collective oh, yeah. huzzah went up. Oh, my God, we're actually building things again. And we're not. Doing all this I was not excited until they said we're building a Millennium Falcon. We're going to. Yeah. Yeah. I was I mean, like, it oh, really yeah. matters. I mean, we uh, like it that this stuff is that it's st- that it exists. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch that. <laughs> so uh, through your research for uh, George Lucas Life, um, uh, don't give away all the you know big spoilers of the book, but uh, what were some of the more interesting facts that you found through your research about well, George? Yeah, one of the things that I really love about him is he's he's sort of the ultimate revenge of the nerd. First of all, and you oh. know he's this even in high Get school. Those like, nerds! Nerd! Yeah. Nerds! Sorry. <laughs> he weighs uh you know he weighs barely a hundred pounds. He's like tops out probably on a good day at five six. Uh, he's a hell of a you know of a mechanic and a really good driver and so on, but he's just it, you know he what Lucas does repeatedly throughout his career and this is a guy who again the nerdy guy who could have walked into his father's business his father owned a stationery store in Modesto California very successful holding the doors open so George his son can walk through the doors it's by the way his father is George Lucas Senior he's George Lucas Junior nice. just like Henry Jones Junior he's actually a junior. Um, and Lucas, throughout his career, constantly turns his back on the easy way out and constantly takes his own money and does something that he tells Francis Ford Coppola is very stupid. He tells Coppola constantly, don't be dumb. Stop investing all your money in your films. And Lucas does the exact same thing constantly. <laughs> he takes all his profits from American Graffiti and pours them into this Flash Gordon thing that he's doing that no studio understands and his friends are telling him he's insane. <laughs> 
uh, you know, which turns into Star Wars. Then he takes all the money from Star Wars and he pours it back into making the sequel because he wants to screw 20th Century Fox and he's yeah. going to prove to them that a sequel can work. And meanwhile, we're also going to build this Skywalker Ranch thing. So if the Empire tanks were finished, can you, know, you imagine that- the billions of dollars that the uh, the the current copyright holders of Flash Gordon would have right now if they let George Lucas made that make basically Star Wars would have been. The, the, well, you the know, Flash they, Gordon they, reboot. I'm not, oh my I'm god! Not I'm not convinced of that though. I'm, I'm not convinced no. of that. I mean, first of all, they, you know, they held. They first of all, they held out. You know, to get yeah. they wanted Franco Zeffirelli badly, but then the movie they finally got just sucks. <laughs> what? Um, totally. But, but, oh, whoa, whoa! Judgment, but the, judgment. But you know, I mean, <laughs> Star Wars is is Lucas taking what he loves about Flash Gordon and then still adding all these other things he loves from you know from Tommy Tomorrow and the Planeteers from DC Comics and you know all these all these other pop culture you know, just crap that he loves so much and that we love so much. And that's what's good. So I'm not convinced that had he done Flash Gordon, he would have made like the world's greatest Flash Gordon film ever. It's like when you heard Zack Snyder's going to do, you know, Superman. It's like, oh, that's it. And then he like screws up Superman. But he did, you know, he did watch him and he's going to do Superman great. I don't know that Lucas would have necessarily done a fantastic Flash Gordon, but he does a spectacularly good Star Wars because he doesn't get Flash Gordon. I just, I just can't believe they, uh, you know, they rejected Lucas, and then, then we got this. We got, uh, <laughs> we got some great music. I gotta admit, for Flash Gordon, but. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, well, that's the best thing about Flash Gordon. It's Queen. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'd rather watch the two minute and thirty one second Flash Queen video than the entire movie of freaking Flash Gordon. That was terrible, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> He'll save every one of us. <laughs> what an awful Just movie. a man. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't like wasn't Dolph Lundgren in it? It was awful. No, it's Sam Jones. <laughs> Sam Jones. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it could have been Dolph. <laughs> Didn't make a difference. <laughs> it wasn't the fact, the, fact, the fact that I know all that makes me want to punch myself in the groin, but anyway, I didn't know. Uh, George Lucas a life uh, kept me uh, basically entertained throughout and uh, I did listen to the audiobook. Uh, narrated by Jay Snyder. Would you mind if we played a little clip right off Audible? I would love to. I, you know, I haven't even heard the audio book yet. I have not heard which audio sample they have picked. Uh, sometimes uh, they do pick a random spot, but let's see what happens. Well, let's click play right off Audible. You can get this for free. If you haven't tried audiobooks yet, you can go to audibletrial.com slash bookice, and you can get it for free as your first book, and you can keep it even if you quit Audible. Just saying. Tendency toward immediate gratification. By the time it was formally established in 1884, there were 25 buildings on the site, most of them housing businesses whose owners, sensing the ample opportunity that came with living near the railroad, had simply picked up their homes and office buildings and relocated to Modesto from nearby Paradise City or Tuolumne City. (laughs) Modesto took its time to become a metropolis. It wouldn't hit 100,000 residents until the 1980s. But as the town grew, it took its civic pride seriously, and by the early 1900s was boasting of its residents' well-manicured lawns and colorful rose bushes. <laughs> so, so, again... Okay, Paul. You went, right wait, wait, the, wait. you went right to the good stuff, didn't you? To the history yeah. of Modesto. God bless it. I haven't, I haven't read the book yet, but based on the narration, I'm assuming an asteroid's got to hit the planet and destroy it <laughs> shortly after, right? I, I'll tell you one thing. The narration by Jay Snyder is wonderful. Brian, uh, you're not the first author we've told this. You can uh, contact Audible and choose a time code in your audiobook and have them change that. Because oh, I, I do believe sometimes they pick a random spot. I think this is later in the book when they're talking about uh, 
uh, the area around uh, Lucas Ranch. I could be wrong, but no, no, no. That's actually the very first chapter. Yeah. Okay. That's right in the first like, chapter. That's, that's got to be like page two, in fact. I okay. So. Okay. I mean, he's he's a great narrator. It's just right where that yeah. picks up. It's kind of the the setup for a movie in a town where that's people right. were moving away, <laughs> like The Simpsons. And that little boy who nobody loved grew up to be Roy Cohn. <laughs> Rude toot toot. Uh, yeah, a, a wonderful narrated, by the way, a wonderfully narrated by Jay Snyder. Uh, how'd you guys? Uh, was that through Hachette Audio, or was this a, a private deal? Or no, Hachette, Hachette did it. Um, contrary to what everyone would like to believe, maybe or maybe they don't want to believe, the author has very little say on who reads their audiobook. Gotcha. Um, they uh, what they did is they actually Hachette Audio sent me a list of three or four names and just said, "Hey, here's all the people we're looking at." Uh, how do you feel? And I said, I, you know, don't have any strong, unless it's Morgan Freeman or, you know, James Earl Jones, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to have strong feelings about it, probably. So, uh, and, and actually, but of the, the ones on the list they gave me, I did put Jay at the top because I knew of some of the animation work he had done. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was wonderfully narrated. Uh, a great audio listen. Uh, 18 hours and 23 minutes. Is it oh, really? My goodness. Yeah, totally, I think Jim Henson is 27. Totally worth it. To be honest, be, I'm telling you straight, honest, before I started, I, I would have thought, I'm not going to dedicate more than two hours to this. And then I sat through eight hours and 23 minutes of your book and really <laughs> enjoyed it. Um, and, I, I, and I'm not, I don't own, the only Star Wars memorabilia I think I own is a Fuck Lucas t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, and I bought that outside the theater when I watched episode one. I was oh like, my God. Well, I'll, I'll take, how much are those? $15? <laughs> I'll take one of those, please. Thank you. <laughs> 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 so you know, he got a cut of every one of those shirts. I'm sure. Right? I'm, oh, I guarantee he did. I, I mean, it's to Lucas' credit. <laughs> Lucas actually has a, a T-shirt that says Han shot first. Too. You got to give him yeah, credit I'm for sure. that. I'm sure. Um, let's talk a bit about the future. Let, let's go beyond the the end of George Lucas' life. Uh, uh, let's go to Disney. Uh, what are we seeing in the future? What, what are your predictions, uh, Brian? For the you know, it's it's really easy to be cynical about Disney, but uh, you know Disney knows what they're doing, and Disney has the the advertising and promotional juggernaut behind it that Lucasfilm never had. Um, I think they've shown through. You know, I, I think it's John Scalzi who told the joke that somebody walked out of the theater said, "Well, there goes Disney not fucking it up again." <laughs> yeah. um, you know that that you know they've shown they've gone two for two. They they've shown they sort of know what they're doing. They know how they're they're making the yeah. fans just involved enough, giving us just enough of a toe in the water. There, they've got Kathleen Kennedy steering the ship at Lucasfilm. I I am actually optimistic about the future. And again, I know it's very easy to be cynical at Disney. They kind of screwed up the Muppets, um, but I think they're doing a nice job with with uh, with Lucasfilm and with the Star Wars franchise. I mean, they gave them the world's biggest sandbox to play in, and I think they're having a blast. I'm putting my prediction out yeah. here now, right now. Uh, put it in the book, Craig. Eight and nine are going to complete this story that's happening now with, uh, you know, uh, with uh, Luke Skywalker and and the remnants of the Empire and uh, whatever they're starting up again. But I believe episode 10 is going to start like this. Present day, our galaxy. I'm just saying. Hmm. If they know. bring, If I, they bring I, it I to Earth... For- present day because everything we've watched so far is uh you know a long time ago galaxy far far away the day we get a promo where you know an imperial star destroyer is just hovering above the white house (laughs) that's gonna sell 1.3 billion dollars worth of tickets right there (laughs) 
You know, maybe well, uh, maybe maybe Star Destroyers, the one that found the Voyager and created V'ger. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe <laughs> do a crossover. <laughs> I want to see I want to see Disney go full circle, and I want to see Pixar do a Star Wars movie. Good lord! Oh, that would be awesome. Well, you know, they they would probably do a lot better than that uh, that CGI we saw for for uh, the uh, Peter Cushing character. It was a name, Grand Moff Tarkin. That really threw me out of the last movie. Did it really? I thought they, I thought it was all right. I, it didn't really bother me that much. I don't know. It was just way too, uh, you know, uncanny valley and a little bit cartoony. Well, I just sat there and pretended I was playing like Star Wars Battlefront, and that was my avatar. So. Yeah, they definitely left a lot of it up to the imagination, but uh, but definitely did not look like Peter Cushing. It definitely looked like uh, I was uh, playing a video game, except I didn't have a controller. I had uh, popcorn <laughs> and whatever in my hand. I'm just waiting for them to cross over with Marvel. You know, when you see the Star Destroyer in Guardians of the Galaxy Five. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so so yeah, I do. I do wonder if there's like ground rules that all these you know different companies they've they've absorbed have laid out and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so Brian, uh, George Lucas, a life, um, wonderful. You've you've done the uh, what was the name of the um, the Jim Henson one? Uh, Jim Henson, the biography. I'm the king of title colon subtitle. Nice. <laughs> I'm the king of something else colon subtitle. Hey now, now. <laughs> settle down there, young man. <laughs> so, so Brian, what's next for you? Uh, wh- what's your website? Where can folks uh, find you? And and what's up on the horizon for Mr. Brian um, J. Jones? My, we- my website, I'm brianjjones.com. Brian, spell it out, J-A-Y. If you just type, if you just Google Brian Jones, you'll get 200 pages of Dead Rolling Stone. So don't do that. <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter at Brian J. Jones as well. And that's usually where I hang out on social media more than anything else. What am I working on right now? I was hoping I would have something to announce here shortly. Um, I don't. It's another big pop culture icon figure that I like. Love to do that kind of stuff. Another creative type. Uh, I'm not going to say any more than that because writers are also notorious jinxes. So yes, yes, very nice. And Mr. Johnston, what's coming up on uh, Robot Overlords with a Z or a Z? <laughs> I got four episodes I need to edit. You know, as you guys know, editing podcasts can be uh, <laughs> it's a lot in the of, a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. So I, I think my 30-minute episodes sometimes are around between 15 and 20,000 edits because I do a lot of taking out the dead space and redundancies and things like that. But, you know, I ultimately I think it's worth it, but, you know, it's it can be kind of hey, exhausting. You know what? While I have you on the line, you're a podcaster, I'm going to give you the one-on-one pitch. Uh, we, we recently switched from uh, a, we'll call it another podcast host, because uh, we, we want to do a bunch of different podcasts just for a lark. Some of them just for shits and giggles, let's say. Mm-hmm. And uh, our, our podcast host at the time was costing us in and around $12 a month for unlimited bandwidth, which we needed sometimes because some of our book guys shows, uh, you know, like the ones with George Chevallo or Cyrus from the Trailer Park Boys would go into many thousand downloads. So uh, for, uh, for us, a big deal was unlimited bandwidth. And we've recently switched to pinecast.com here's the ad guys it's a, it's a total ad read uh, from the top of my head <laughs> there's no ad copy here we go this is all real and true uh, so we switched over to pinecast they start at uh, free so you can start from free uh, every month there, there are limitations of course uh, but their basic program is $9 a month which in, uh, is unlimited bandwidth 
up to 64 megabytes per episode, and I found that you can do two or three hours of uh, podcast audio. I mean, unless you're doing, you know, like uh, classical music or, you know, something really high-end. Uh, for as for as far as uh, speaking and interviews and whatnot, uh, you can do a lot of, with 64 megabytes. $9 a month includes unlimited shows. So for us, uh, we had some ideas to do some different shows that are coming out probably next month. Uh, but we didn't want to pay $12 for every show we wanted to do. We're probably going to do one episode a year on some of these, you know, just, just for fun. So twelve uh, sorry, $9 a month, you can get unlimited shows at Pinecast.com. And if you use the promo code BOOKGUYS, you'll get 40% off your, uh, total, uh, your, your total cost for, for four months. So check that out, pinecast.com. Use the promo code BOOKGUYS, and you'll get 40% off for four months. And we really enjoy it so far. Uh, we actually use the pro plan, which is uh, $50 a month, which includes a whole bunch of different extras. And you can find us once again, folks, just like on episode one of uh, season one. You can go to ministryofpodcasts.com and find all the nonsense we're doing <laughs> and subscribe to all that nonsense just saying and check out robot overlords with a z or z depending where you are for sure i will have to check out pinecast though uh i've got a couple other possible projects you know i also own alien overlords with the z <laughs> yes yes so, so yeah, well that's the whole thing right i mean uh, like we i wanted to do a, a thing called soundscapes where i just record audio in places mm-hmm. with my portable recorder. And I didn't really want to spend 12 bucks a month on it. Uh, I wanted to do uh, the, the Wheel of Topics. We're going to do that. I didn't want to spend another 12 Because, you know, if you do 10 of them, that's $120 a month. And, and as you know, the income from, uh, you know, a podcast, no matter how many thousand listeners you have, is often quite limited. <laughs> you know? Yep. And by yeah, the way... There's, there's a lot of neat creativity out there, though, now in the podcasting community. And, you know, just... I mean, I'm still such a fan of what the internet has done as far as opening up creativity, and oh, absolutely. You know. <laughs> and as far as narrow casting, uh, and 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 it's sad to say, but uh, I mean, a book podcast is still today in 2017 for series seven or season seven. It's still narrow. We're still narrow casting to people that enjoy books and want to find a new book to read every week. And and our goal is, of course, to. You know, uh, you know, promote literacy and books are fun. And you know, uh, young gentlemen and ladies should be reading more books of things they're interested in and trying to make reading cool again. But we're still a narrow cast. I mean, we're not, you know, uh, we're not Infowars. We're not This American Life because uh, the re- number one requirement to be a you know a listener to the book guys is you read books. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Uh, and, but you could find the weirdest things online, can't you? Like uh, for different podcasts, like. Uh, we want to do one called Cheap Bastards, where all we do is every week and give you tips on how to save money every month. And again, uh, with the Pinecast, uh, that allows us to create as many podcasts as we want, and it won't cost us a thing. Other than our, you know, $9 or $50 a month. Go crazy. Definitely. So uh, here we are at the end, gentlemen. Um, Star Wars, the future look, is looking good for Star Wars. I think Disney's going to do well with it, is it not, uh, Brian? I think, hands, so. I, yeah. I think so. <laughs> I, I think we're in good hands with Disney. I mean, they, they haven't done too badly with uh, Marvel, have they? I mean, they, they made a blockbuster out of like a, a D-list team, Guardians of the Galaxy. They used to be in like the bottom of my, uh, my long boxes here of comic books. They're now in the top uh, box now because uh, now they're cool. <laughs> Right. Uh, now, that, and now that they've got Lucasfilm over there now, maybe they can get together and reboot Howard the Duck. 
Oh my good lord! <laughs> Stay oh, they away. Had, they, they had him at the end of Guardian of the yes, Galaxy. Yes, they did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speaking of ducks, again to my theory of uh, Star Wars is going to come to Earth. There are ducks in the Star Wars universe. Look it up online. <laughs> well, they also they also use the word hell, which is a uh, I think yes. it, that's a that's an Earthbound thing. <laughs> So and they I, use English. So. Yes, and and, and and a long time <laughs> no, ago, somebody was mentioning someplace that everybody must be illiterate because you never see any writing in there. But I, I was trying to remember in the in the very in the original Star Wars, isn't there like something that's labeled that says like you know, uh, 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 tractor beam control or something at one point? Maybe they've gone back and edited that stuff out. Well, I, I, I don't and, know, maybe. Uh, but if you if you watch the uh, uh, prequel uh, series, the first three movies. The uh, the way they talk, I don't think they're reading. <laughs> right. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and isn't there a, ra- a reference to Bantha Pudu? I think <laughs> Pudu, Bantha Pudu. That that's definitely somewhere in the Star Wars, uh, oh, the, the yeah. first trilogy. <laughs> Bantha Pudu, and that's definitely uh, coming from our language here. So I, I, I'm I'm still holding, holding, you know, I'm, I'm still holding that glass of water for Star Wars to come to Earth and blow up this, uh, you know, blow up the White House and do it much better than uh, Independence Day. Even the mind actually boggles with that. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of how you could do that. You know, what the thing is, do you really think it would be, what would it be at that point? Because it's, it would be way in the future of the Star Wars universe. Where would their ships have advanced to? Mm. Mm. Yeah, and you know, you got to have Star, Darth Vader show up. So there, there has to be some time travel introduced uh, to, to grab <laughs> just as he's falling after you know he, he falls through the shaft. That's right. We, you can, we can do a him. we'll do like a Star Trekian wormhole thing or a slingshot around the sun. Let's do that. Maybe he'll, he'll jump a shark and he'll end up in Washington. Just saying, <laughs> guys, it's been a pleasure having you guys on. I uh, hope you stick around after the show. We'll talk a little bit about some other stuff, but a uh, uh, real pleasure having Brian J. Jones on again. Where can folks find you? Uh, uh, www.brian.brianjjones.com or on Twitter at Brian J. Jones. And Mr. Mike Johnstone, where can we find you? Robot Overlords with a Z dot FM or I'm on Twitter at Robot Overlords with a Z or uh, at M-J-A-R-K-I-V-E-R-1. And in Seattle, Mr. Craig Damlo, where can we find your stuff? Uh, check out my other podcast, Launchpad Problems, lpp.soapboxrocket.com. And you can find all of our fine podcasts at ministryofpodcast.com. I'd like to remind you that Book Guys Show is ministry approved. <laughs> this is when I press this button here. Uh, thanks so much, guys. It's been fun talking Star Wars, but I can hear some droids outside and stormtroopers. we got to get out of here, and we'll see you next week, folks. The same book time and same book channel. Who knows what we got next week. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guide Show will return next week. Same book time, same book channel.